Welcome to the Barnes Review History Hour. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Friday, December 15th, 2023. The Barnes Review History Hour is a program featuring contributors to the Barnes Review History Magazine, a bi-monthly print and digital publication dedicated to bringing history into accord with the facts, as well as other special guests. Please do consider subscribing to the magazine if you are not already. Check out barnesreview.org for all the details. All right, today I'm joined by Taylor Young from Antelope Hill Publishing. All right, Taylor Young, welcome back to the program, sir. How are you today? I'm doing great. Very happy to be here again. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me once again. You were on earlier this summer with one of your colleagues. You are with Antelope Hill Publishing, and that website is antelopehillpublishing.com. I will, of course, have a link over to you guys' website when I post this program. Um, so it's good to, to reconnect, and I wanted to get started by saying happy belated Thanksgiving and a very Merry Christmas to you, of course, and to all of our listeners. Christmas will be here before we know it, and it's really an incredible time of year, despite all the, the madness we see in the world around us. And before we really dive into our conversation today, I wanted to just mention that the November-December 2023 issue of the Barnes Review magazine has been shipped out and delivered to all customers, or it should be at this point. I know I received my copy the very first week of November, um, so it's been out for six weeks now at least. Um, And on the last edition of the Barnes Review History Hour, I spoke with Dr. Jim Fetzer, and we discussed many of the articles in that most recent issue which focused primarily, actually, on the JFK assassination. We also had a very interesting article as the, the feature piece of that issue, titled 1913, The Year That Sealed America's Fate, and that was written by Mark Rowland. Um, I'd encourage listeners to check out that podcast with Dr. Fetzer and visit barnesreview.org for more details about that particular issue of the magazine. We also sent out the Barnes Review's 2023 book and video catalog as well with that issue. So be sure to check out some of the great books and videos that we have for sale, all of which, of course, can be found right on the website, which is barnesreview.org. And finally, I just want to mention, if you are listening to this podcast and you're not already subscribing to the magazine, you really should be. The Barnes Review is one of the last print revisionist magazines and publishing outlets left in America. So please do consider supporting our work with a subscription. It's obviously not an easy thing to do to maintain a print publication in this modern era. So if you're interested in authentic history, you really should be subscribing to the magazine. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. And then one last thing, we are currently wrapping up the January February 2024 issue of the Barnes Review, and that will be going out within the next two weeks or so, so be on the lookout for that. Okay, well, thanks for bearing with me there, Taylor. You are, of course, as I mentioned, affiliated with Antelope Hill Publishing, and your website is antelopehillpublishing.com. Now, you guys list right on your website that the publishing house's main purpose is to, quote, ensure history, culture, and revolutionary ideas will be preserved in the written word and made easily accessible, fairly priced, and professionally published. And I think you guys do an excellent job of of doing just that. I know you guys translate and republish existing works 
many of them historical in nature, but also some more contemporary or modern books, uh, some of which written in foreign languages that you guys have professionally translated and then publish, publish yourself through Antelope Hill. And um, I know you've also published some original content as well from dissident authors. And if you go to your website, I know you guys have um, an announcement up there, you know, encouraging original material from, you know, potential authors or writers. Um, you know, if you have any sort of manuscript that you're working with, you know, to, to reach out and, and, and contact you guys, as well as, you know, people that are capable of, of doing professional translations. Um, so, um, we're going to be talking much more about a book that you guys recently published called The Sword of Christ by Giles Corey. Um, but before we do that, do you want to comment on the purpose and mission of Antelope Hill Publishing? There's obviously a lot of overlap with, with what you guys are doing and sort of what the Barnes Review has been doing since its founding back in like 1994, at least with the, some of the books that we publish. Yeah, certainly. Um, so you gave it a very good rundown, but... Um, as you know, uh, there's uh, a wide variety of books that we've published and that we seek to publish. Um, and it really started in the beginning with focusing on um, historical works and ones that were out of print or difficult to access um, or that didn't have, you know, weren't accessible to an English speaking audience at all. So, for example, uh, The Burning Souls by Leon de Grel was one of our very first ones, and that was the very first English translation of that book. Um, so, um, we were very honored to be able to kind of make that contribution um, by making that available. But pretty early on, we, we started getting original authors who um, submitted. Uh, uh, works that were um, very worth considering, that were were valuable. We had the Transgender Industrial Complex by Scott Howard, um, another one of our most popular books, um, and we had uh, our first fiction book, which was Let Them Look West by Marty Phillips, who also recently put out a second fiction book uh, entitled Millennium that we published this year. So, yeah. So since then, we've had quite a wide range. Um, just this year, we started out with the American Regime, uh, which was uh, which is a book written by an anonymous prisoner uh, of the January 6th um, event um, and his reflections and his analysis on American history and the American system and uh, how it's come to be so tyrannical. Uh, we had more fiction put out this year. Like I said, we had Millennium. We had uh, World Separated, Man in the Mirror. We had more historical works. We had Michael by Dr. Joseph Goebbels. Um, we had uh, The Culture of the Teutons, um, Story of the Russian Land. Um, we had our, our annual writing competition book. Uh, most recently, we had uh, ROG Nationalists, Man's World Annual Magazine, and uh, two books by Paul Kersey. Um, and of course, we had The Sword of Christ as well. So um, so that's that's the kind of uh, variety that we're looking for, that uh, the kind of ideas and, and works that we're very happy to be able to bring to light and to bring to people's attention. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, you can expect yeah. more of that in the coming year. Yeah, absolutely. And to wrap up this conversation, we'll talk about some of the upcoming titles that you guys are working on and that people can look forward to in 2024 as we enter the new year. And I also wanted to mention the last time we were on, we kind of focused on a book you guys republished called The Rise of the NSDAP, which was, I believe, is that, was that directly, it was basically like a 
uh, a history of the party published by the SS. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, and that's, I mean, this is something that you're really not going to find anywhere else, um, at least in the English-speaking world. And I, I know that was a very, very interesting read, a, a first-hand look at the rise of the NSDAP from the actual participants. So, um, yeah, you guys are definitely publishing a lot of a lot of material that very much overlaps with um, a lot of the subjects that we cover in the pages of the Barnes Review and also other books that we publish as well. Um, and yeah, I know since the last time um, you were on, you guys have released quite a few books, including one that we're going to focus on, as I mentioned, The Sword of Christ. And this is really one of the most eloquent and persuasive defenses of the role that Christianity has played in Western history and also how it has been entirely corrupted and transformed in our modern era, really in the past 100 years, I think, at least more or less. Um, and this is a topic that is very much near and dear to my heart. I mean, I was born and raised Catholic, and the older that I get, the more strongly I feel about my Catholic faith and identity, the more it resonates with me. Um, although I do clearly, I'll be the first to recognize and, and point out many of the problems with not only the, the Catholic Church, but organized Christianity in general. Um, so I did want to be upfront about that. I think most people listening, you know, regular listeners to the, the podcast that I do would would understand or recognize that, that I am very much influenced by my Catholic faith and have total respect for Christianity. And, and, and that's sort of my perspective. I'm just curious, before we get started, just for clarification purposes, were you born or raised Christian or do you have any strong feelings about Christianity? Yeah, I, I was raised Christian, uh, Protestant, and I still am. Um, like you, it's a very, very big part of my life and a very big part of my um, motivation in general. So um, also a very, you know, subject that's very near and dear to me and I think is very important. And, um, you know, it's, um, the book uh, focuses a lot on some things that are more common to Protestantism, like Christian Zionism, for example. Um, but it does talk about just like the state of Christendom as a whole or the state of Christianity as a whole. And, uh, um, you know, um, there's the, the problems that are manifesting today are, are really not, not tied to, you know, a specific branch or, or denomination anymore. You have the same kind of rot manifesting in um, all of what calls itself Christianity. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, I know you guys address this, at least on the back cover. I'm not sure if it's really addressed much in the in the text of the book itself, um, like where you guys came across this book, and um, maybe if you could tell us anything about its origins or the author. I know it was, of course, unsurprisingly banned from Amazon, at least the first initial edition of the book, which was originally released in 2020. Um, now, this, this edition that you guys are selling is actually the second edition. It includes a forward by Dr. Kevin McDonald, which we'll talk a little bit more about here in a minute. Uh, but it's very clear from reading this book, and I, I, I got to admit, I've not read the entire thing. Um, I have read major sections of it. Um, Giles Corey clearly did his homework and knows knows a lot about what he's writing about, and it's a very, very powerful book, I think. So what can you tell us um, about the origins of this book and its author? Um, well, uh, not much about the author. He's um, kept pretty private. 
Um, I believe he uh, approached us with the book, if I remember correctly. So he sent us the manuscript, um, you know, uh, told us the history of it, um, it having been on Amazon and, and so forth. And uh, I think I was part of the team that it reviewed it initially. And as soon as I started reading through it, I, I was uh, very impressed. And I was like, this is, you know, this is exactly the kind of thing that we want to publish. And also it's a very necessary book. Um, it's really filling a role that has been... Um, you know, in in dire need of, of being filled for a long time. There's been a lot of, I think, a lot of want for a book like this that addresses the issues that it does. Yeah, absolutely. And and right off the bat, uh, in the forward by Dr. Kevin McDonald, he argues in the very first sentence that this is a book that should be read not only by every Christian, but also by every white advocate in general, whether you're Christian or not. And I know there's like a huge debate in, you know, pro-white, like white nationalist type circles about the role that Christianity has played historically and contemporarily in Western civilization. And that's something that I want to ask you about here in a minute. Um, but it's very clear that, um, you know, Giles Corey, as I mentioned, definitely did his homework. I mean, the bibliography and the, there's at the very end, there's a big bibliography and then some other articles and um, other sources that he cites throughout the book. And it's just very, very well written, very, very scholarly, but not, over like overly academic like it's an easy it's i wouldn't say necessarily it's an easy read but it's not like a super academic book it makes it makes the case very very powerfully and persuasively i think in a way that that is easy to digest um i, I don't know if that makes sense or if, or if that's your sort of general understanding of the book as well or your general read of the book it's not super super academic although it is obviously a very weighty topic that you know most people like your average reader probably wouldn't know all the ins and outs of the you know the historical role of christianity in western civilization for example yeah absolutely well it's it's not you know it's not written like a academic you know like a, a journal article um but it is like you know it is very well researched and it's very well argued and that is part of i think what helps it to read so well is that uh um it's very persuasive it's it's always it's driving toward a goal it's driving toward an argument and that uh, keeps you moving along um as well as the information which is very interesting yeah absolutely well, and I had mentioned um, the forward by Dr. Kevin McDonald, who has been a huge influence on my thinking over the years. He, of course, maintains the OccidentalObserver.net. I have done numerous interviews with him in the past, and he, you know, he's written numerous books dealing with Jewish influence, you know, in in, in Western society, the, the historic role of Jews, you know, th through the ages. Um, and, and Dr. McDonald, I think it's fair to say, is not exactly a fervent, like Bible thumping Christian, uh, but he does provide a very powerful intro to the book and, you know, totally praises this defense of the historic role of Christianity in Western civilization, which I, I think is really worth noting that has only really been totally corrupted and subverted within the past hundred years or so, particularly with the rise of Christian Zionism and the role that, you know, the Schofield Bible has played, which is a major part of the book, actually. Um, so I'm curious, what, what do you make of the Ford by Dr. Kevin McDonald? As I mentioned, I mean, he's not known to be like a, a super big, you know, Christian or something like that, but he, he definitely, I think, gives a good, solid, objective um, analysis of the book and the role that Christianity has played in Western civilization. Yeah, I agree. No, it's a great forward. It's um, uh, been noted by um, a lot of people who've 
purchased the book and who liked it. Um, I think that um, he does a very good job of um, contextualizing Christianity within the political struggle that white people face and, uh, you know, acknowledging the, the problems that um, it's connected to while at the same time also acknowledging the way that it has been intrinsically connected uh, with European history and the fact that, you know, for the um, the vast majority of the duration of this relationship, it has served Europe very well. And even, uh, you know, things that um, um, that have been kind of uh, twisted today that are uh, elements of Christianity, like universalism, individualism, um, are things that, that coexisted uh, perfectly well with European expansion and imperialism, colonialism, uh, Christianity, and, and generally with a very self-confident uh, Europe. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think it's um, it helps consider the ways in, in which uh, ultimately, these are also things that are, you know, and I think that's part of the arguments that, that he makes. These things are, are part of um, our character as a people as well. Um, and they're therefore part of, you know, what connect us to Christianity as well. Um, and um, um, but yeah, uh, and he, he also talks about, uh, you know, the role that uh, Jews have played in kind of souring this relationship as part of their general attack upon European civilization. So I think it's a very even-handed, you know, treatment of the whole thing. It's a very good intro for the book because he really hits right on the issues that the book itself addresses and and argues about. So, um, yeah, I I think it's it's great in in those respects. Yeah, no, I agree. And he's got some very powerful quotes from... Um, historic Christian figures uh, going back to the, the really to the origins uh, origins of Christianity, and what's amazing is that some of the biggest anti Semites in history are actually some of the early church fathers. I mean, these people understood who the Jews were and, and, and recognized their subversive nature from the very beginning, and of course they recognized them as the murderers of Jesus Christ. And he's got a quote from Saint Gregory of Nyssa. Who was writing in the fourth century, and he said, and this is what a, a major Christian historical figure said. Um, certainly, you won't hear any modern mainstream Christian leaders say anything like this. But this is this was a very sort of mainstream thought historically. You know, when Christianity was first first sort of um, you know developing, he says here, Jews are murderers of the Lord, assassins of the prophets, rebels against God, God haters, advocates of the devil. Race of vipers, slanderers, culminators, dark-minded people, leaven of the Pharisees, Sanhedrin of demons, sinners, wicked men, stoners, and haters of righteousness. I don't know if he left anything out there. I mean, I think he kind of nailed the, the, the perfectly described how Jews operate and, and have always operated. Um, and, you know, again, this is a major Christian figure in, in history. And so we can see basically how... Christianity has been totally subverted to where now most Christian leaders are openly praising the Jews and celebrating them as, you know, like the saviors of the world or something. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of um, very harsh, you know, you could almost say like vitriolic uh, treatment, rhetorical treatment of the Jews is something that is, like you note, it's consistent throughout the vast majority of Christian history. And, you know, it's the early church fathers, the Catholic church, Martin Luther, uh, you know, they all 
they all kind of came to the same conclusion on the, on these people that they're you know the murderers of the Lord. They're they're just a, a scourge and a plague wherever they go um, to whatever people they come into contact with. And um, it's yeah, it's it's really um, it, it says something that this this is an idea that would be so alien to Christians today, and it's it's such a modern change to have taken place. Um, yeah, in, in such a short time that that we would have forgotten. Uh, this really, you know, this part of church history and this part of theological history and this reaction that Christians have always had to these people uh, for very understandable reasons because of the way that they've behaved. Yeah, for very understandable and very legitimate and righteous reasons, I would argue. Um, now, before we get more into the book, um, I'm curious, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, because I've been, you know, sort of like, I guess, in, in sort of like the white nationalist, pro-white you know, alternative media scene for well over a decade at this point. And this is a topic that always comes up. It's this very controversial, um, you know, heated debates in these circles about Christianity. How, I'm curious, like, what, what, what do you think? Like, how productive are these debates? How productive is promoting an anti-Christian narrative politically, for example? I don't think it's very productive at all. And I think it's a very, a very ignorant um, look at, Christianity historically. Sure, there's all sorts of problems with modern Christianity, with modern institutionalized, organized Christianity, which Giles Corey fully admits and articulates very, very well all throughout the book. I mean, we're some of the, like the, the, the pro-Christian, you know, white nationalists are some of the biggest critics of organized Christianity contemporarily. Um, but I just don't think having an anti-Christian narrative is a very smart political strategy. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. And um, it's funny because, you know, you'll one of the criticisms of Christianity that you'll often hear in uh, this type of politics is, well, you know, these people, they put their religion ahead of their race and that prevents them from being able to unify with um, other white people and be able to effectively form a collective with other white people. But you see pagans doing the exact same thing and they'll, you know, they'll refuse to work with uh, white Christians because they're Christians. Um, so, uh, there's a lot of problems that go both ways. I mean, ultimately, I absolutely agree with you that, um, you know, you can't have an effective uh, political movement that is anti-Christian. Um, and, uh, you know, Giles Corey, he does make the argument in the book as well that ultimately Christianity will be necessary uh, for the salvation and for the restoration of the West. Um, the only nuance that I would have is that... Um, I do think that it is useful to some degree for um, like serious ideological challenges to exist uh, for modern Christians, especially because, um, it, you know, in a lot of the ways that, that this book covers like Zionism and so on, um, this is something that they just take as granted that they've never encountered a serious challenge to. Or, you know, for example, thinking about the relationship between Christianity and uh, collective racial identity, um, you know, the, the way that Christianity kind of manifests today as a cultural phenomenon is, is anti-white in a lot of ways. It's uh, philo-Semitic. Um, and um, I, I find value, at least personally, um, from the fact that, you know, there are uh, like uh, serious like uh, non-Christian or even like neo-pagan positions and ideas that take themselves seriously and that uh, do challenge Christianity in these respects, not because they're challenging, 
you know, not not because to me they present a challenge to my faith itself, but because, um, you know, they they serve as a reminder to Christians that, um, you know, you can't abandon your people. That's not what God has called you to do. And if you do, then, you know, they're going to react in predictable and understandable ways. Um, and you can't, you know, you can't blame that on anything other than, um, you know, on your yourself having abandoned them. So um, that's my only kind of more nuanced thought, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I, 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 I totally agree with you, actually. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I've seen these debates come up over the years, and it's very, very divisive. It's very, very – I mean, and, and it, this goes for both sides, the pro-Christian side or the anti-Christian side. It's a topic that doesn't – in my view, doesn't need to be debated and doesn't need to be this divisive topic. Um, and I think everybody can agree, the pro-Christian and the anti-Christian side, that the state of modern Christianity is totally corrupted and subverted and has degenerated – um, from its once healthy, authentic version that we can trace throughout Western history. I mean, indeed, Western civilization itself is intimately tied to Christianity. And this is a point that Corey makes very, very well all throughout the book. Um, at the very beginning, Corey says that, and this is a direct quote, there is very little to praise about organized Christianity today. If anything, organized Christianity, including the Catholic Church, and the various Protestant denominations has indeed become yet another instrument of white genocide. And I think that's largely true. I mean, especially with like the whole open borders madness and a lot of these like Christian organizations facilitating refugee resettlement and, um, you know, like actively facilitating like the invasion of Western countries. It's absolutely insane. And I think is not at all backed up by the Bible or by anything to do historically with Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also um, in, you know, the, the ideas that are kind of promoted as Christianity that really have nothing to do with Christian, with Christian theology today, like this, um, you know, racially suicidal idea of forgiveness, um, like uh, just promoting withdrawal from the world and, and the worldly affairs and, you know, basically leaving everyone to suffer at the hands of, of injustice. Um, I do think that uh, um, the author does a very good job of kind of walking that line between making the necessary uh, and, and often very harsh criticisms of, um, you know, the phenomenon of modern Christianity, while at the same time still affirming that it is our faith and it is a necessary faith uh, for our civilization. It's the faith of our, our fathers, and it should be the faith of our future as well, um, you know, if we want to survive and succeed. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And um, I was just thinking, like, just how devolved, like, the, the Catholic Church, for example, has, and like, especially epitomizing the Vatican, where Pope Francis, just in late November, was, like, having a luncheon with, like, transgender people. I mean, this is just the state of, of like, modern Christianity, and I don't think there's any authentic pro-white Christians that could defend anything like this. <laughs> in fact, we'd be probably the first to be condemning it, um, and, and that's just one example. I mean, you know, I mentioned like all the refugee, that seems to be like a key part of it, like the Catholic charities. And there's a lot of, um, you know, Protestant denominations that are active and, and, you know, resettling refugees and, and helping like homeless, you know, illegal aliens all across the country. It's, it's insane. And of course, organized Jewish groups play a key role as well, but it's, it's, it's very much tied into this hearsay of, 
of Christian Zionism. And this is like a major theme of the book is this subversive Christian Zionist narrative. Um, wh- what can you tell us about the or- about the origins, excuse me, of Christian Zionism? Yeah, so like you note, that is a very significant part of the book, and uh, which is good because it's a very relevant issue today. And uh, he spend he does give you a lot of information about the history of Christian Zionism as a as a movement and as a theology. Um, he goes back uh, several centuries talking about how um, you had uh, uh, I think it was uh, post millennialism was really a dominant. Uh, theology in in terms of uh, you know uh, the view of history that that most Christians took for a long time, um, and that kind of uh, transitioned um, at the end of the 18th uh, into the 19th centuries into premillennialism um, and this kind of increasing focus on the idea of the apocalypse and the end of history and and the end times. Um, and for a while, you had uh, covenant. Uh, premillennialism, where you know, uh, throughout the, this process, the the role of the Jews and their relationship to the church and their relationship to salvation was also something that was relevant. But for a while, you had covenant premillennialism, where you still had the requirement that the Jews should convert. Um, so, you know, traditionally Christians have, of course, believed that Jews have to convert uh, in order to receive salvation, um, and basically that that is, you know, that is the foremost consideration with respect to the Jewish question. Um, but but, but uh, we've then... we've even seen that in recent in recent years be undermined, where you know, like Christian leaders are like making excuses for the Jews and saying they don't need to actually convert. You know what I mean? Like you even see that these days. Yeah, exactly. And that's the crazy thing is that that's what it has developed into. That's what it has uh, evolved into. So then you had dispensationalist premillennialism where, you know, you had the, the okay, maybe the Jews will return to the land, the physical land of Israel before they convert. And then from there, it has uh, devolved into um, really, you could say, like a, a worship of the Jews themselves as a race without any corresponding requirement of their conversion or even any that's what it expectation is. that that, you know, that they treat Christians well or like be remotely friendly to Christians themselves. It's become just a totally like racially suicidal and, and totally really unchristian and, and anti-Christian um, way of of looking at uh, the faith and, and looking at the Jews. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's actually fair to say that it, it basically has devolved into a just a blind worship of Jews themselves, like as a as a racial ethnic group. That's what we see in like mainstream Christian Zionist circles, and of course, you hear about like Judeo American values or Judeo Christianity, um, and and there's actually a whole chapter on the myth of Judeo Christianity in the book. Um, this is a very common talking point, especially among Republicans and conservatives, like mainstream Republicans and conservatives, about um, you know Judeo-Christian values, and that itself is fundamentally contradictory because Judaism has nothing to do with Christianity. Judaism is a fundamental rejection of Christianity and Christ's message. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's a, a great Stone Toss comic that really makes the point very eloquently in just two panels about Judeo-Christianity and, and the um, 
think that the first one's a Christianity and you see like Christ laying on the cross and the second one's Judeo and you see the, the nail in his hand. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think that that gets the point across. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is absolutely a, again, relatively modern fiction, this idea of Judeo Christianity, as well as the idea of, you know, Jews or Jewish intellectual or religious influence having played this significant role in the history of European philosophy and European development. I mean, you know, when you consider how adversarial the Jews and Europeans have been throughout uh, all of our history, really, and how many times they were kicked out of places and and, uh, uh, persecuted um, after the crimes they committed against Gentiles, I mean, it, it really is absurd to, you know, speak of the idea of a Judeo-Christianity or uh, speak of, of Jews as having some claim or some, you know, significant part in the intellectual history and the development of European civilization. Yeah, exactly. Well, in chapter seven, um, he actually gets into like historical Christianity on Judaism and cites a number of, you know, Christian thinkers and, and scholars, both Catholic and Protestant and like, I mean, Martin Luther wrote the book on the Jews and their lies, you know, thoroughly exposing the role that Jews have played and, and just the nature of the Jews in general. St. Augustine, I mean, it goes on and on. There were numerous Christian scholars historically that recognized the Jews for who they were and totally rejected them, called them the corruptors of of humanity called them contrary to god i think is a quote from saint peter i believe i mean you know these people totally recognized who the jews were and and this christian zionist narrative has totally flipped that on its head to where now we worship these people rather than recognize them as not only the killers of christ but the corruptors of this world yeah absolutely and when i first had like learned about this topic uh you know a while ago now some years ago um one of the things that surprised me was just how scummy uh, the history of this whole movement is like especially when you consider um cyrus schofield who uh you know is the uh, father of the schofield reference bible which is really a major major taking off point for dispensationalism and for christian zionism and i mean he was a criminal he was a scoundrel he abandoned his wife and his family um you know he he never really achieved anything until he became basically the puppet of a wealthy jew and uh then um you know created this reference bible uh which as the book notes within you know a few years of of it coming out and its immense popularity um his innovation was uh, to uh basically insert his own commentary through the footnotes as well as chapter headings and stuff like that and you know within a few years people were basically treating the footnotes as they as though and and their interpretation as though it were part of scripture itself um so when you actually read into some of this stuff and and how it came about it's um you know it's it's often a lot darker and and more gritty than than i think anyone would really imagine when you know thinking about uh, the history of of the bible or the history of different strands of christianity yeah no and that's interesting and and i honestly don't know a whole lot about the schofield bible um he was Cyrus Schofield, correct? That he was an American, um, and he was funded by wealthy Jews to create this Bible, right? Um, and is it still being used today? I honestly don't even know. Like, is it still? Does it still have as much influence as it had back when it was first published? Well, the influence is in basically all of the. Uh, Christian institutions um, and like Bible institutes and schools and so on that have uh, come out of 
people who used that Bible and, and referenced it and, and basically came out of the uh, Christian Zionist movement that uh, it, it contributed to. Um, so, you know, and, and again, this is another thing that's that's traced in, in detail about the book. And, you know, as he goes on, he mentions more and more names that people today would be familiar with, Russell Moore, uh, Moody, and, and so on. Um, and uh, basically, you know, all of the or very, very many of the most major, at least like Protestant institutions today, um, have their uh, their outgrowth from uh, this movement that was uh, that was started by Schofield. Interesting, yeah. And there's a lot of details in the book about you know this this aspect of, of Christian history that are very important, and that most Christians would never would never have even ever encountered. So I think that's a very, very critical aspect of the book. Um, now, he also gets into um, like how Jews themselves view Christians and just gentle, Gentile society in general. Um, I mean, Martin Luther, one of the, I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of the key reasons why he wrote on the Jews and their lies is because he actually read the Talmud and understood what the Jews actually had to say about Christians, right? Yeah, I believe so. That and just observing how the Jews interacted with the the German people and with really any people wherever they went. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, basically, like most Christians, again, historically, viewed the Jews as outsiders, as very subversive anti-Christian forces, um, and and that they should be excluded from society. And as you mentioned previously, there are numerous, countless examples of Jews being expelled throughout Europe, th- really throughout the world, um, due to the, due, due explicitly to their behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a famous meme of 109 countries, uh, or 110 at least, I think, that we're up to now. Um, I think uh, Yemen was the 110th. Um, uh, and, you know, of course, it's it's probably been more than that. But that that is really that is the history of Jewish and Gentile relations. It is exploitation um, and crimes against the Gentiles on the part of the Jews, crimes which they uh, justify and, and find uh, motivation for in the Talmud and in their traditions and crimes which they often brag about whenever they feel like they can get away with it. Um, and uh, in return, eventually, you know, the Gentiles will kick them out. So. Um, it's just that now we have this problem on a global scale. So, um, and know. not only on a global scale, but they're so entrenched and wield just outright dominant political, cultural, and economic power all throughout the West, especially in America. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost unbelievable that they could get up and and call you an anti-Semite for simply recognizing these facts. I mean, all you got to do is look at Joe Biden's cabinet, for example. I mean, is there any non-Jew at all involved in his administration at this point? It's incredible how much power and influence that they wield. And yet, you know, they'll still gaslight you and call you this crazy conspiracy theorist for noticing it. You know, it's absolutely outrageous. And I mean, this is on full display with this whole situation in Gaza and in Palestine where the Israelis are just openly, you know, committing genocide and ethnic cleansing of the Gaza Strip, for example. And here's America, at least our political establishment, fully on board with this. And even many, you know, Christian Zionists fully on board with this. I got to say, I mean, I go to mass every weekend and and this topic rarely, never has actually come up. Um, You know, like, so like, like at least the church that I go to, 
you know, the we're not really being taught about how Israel's our greatest ally or something like that. I'm curious what it's like in other like more evangelical type churches. I'm sure that they're getting all of that propaganda and all that nonsense. And it just makes me think like, is the, is the, pro the propaganda and like the brainwashing that powerful that people can't recognize what's going on over there, despite how obvious it all is. I mean, unfortunately to a, a large degree, yes. I think for many people, that's really the only lens through which they view the conflict or Israel um, in any context is that these are God's people. Um, but I think it also it, it filters even out past that into people who are less religious or, or less Zionist. And, you know, you'll still have people seeing Israel as this bastion of democracy and, and human rights and uh, uh, this kind of natural ally for the West or for Christians or for white people, um, which is that is one of the most insidious and evil parts is that, um, you know, these people are in control of our governments and they get us to fight their wars for them. Um, they get us to destabilize other countries and, and basically be their military. They extract resources from us, from the United States, uh, for the benefit of Israel. And then when it comes to, to their crimes, they try to, again, like drag us down with them and, and like put the blame on white people and on Christians for the crimes that uh, Israel is committing in Gaza or, or in other places. Um, you know, there really is no solution to it other than like they have these people have to be removed from power so that, you know, they cannot associate us with the, the crimes that they commit against humanity. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. And I mean, I guess I guess for people like us that have been sort of studying this stuff for so long, it's like so obvious. I mean, I, it just amazes me that people are still blinded by this, despite, again, like it's not really some secret like you have to go search for anymore. It's, it's just openly on display coming from the White House itself. I was just reading how, you know, the White House is up there putting up menorahs. I mean, they do this every year. But it's just incredible that like the, the the outright supremacy of Jews in America on full display for the world to see, and the president himself up there bragging about it, and and of course this Trump was doing the same thing. I mean this is not a Democrat Republican thing. This is, you know, all across our government at every at virtually every single level. It's it's absolutely infuriating and insane. And yes, these people absolutely have got to be excluded from society, which is what Christians have historically argued and, and implemented in many cases, you know, through, you know, over, over the years, over the centuries. Um, one important part of the book as well is there's a section dealing with like case studies and Jewish hostility towards Christians, towards um, just Western civilization in general. And this is obviously something um, that Dr. Kevin McDonald, who, who we, you know, who wrote the forward has written extensively about, you know, cultural Marxism, the promotion of sexual degeneracy, sexual liberation, um, you know, the list goes on pornography. In fact, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the sub chapters in this chapter is the Jewish promotion of degeneracy, filth, and pornography. And, you know, it's basically a, a massive psychological and like, intellectual operation against the the gentle gentile world and that should be that that absolutely is what's going on and what has gone on that's the reason for all of this sexual degeneracy we see all throughout society it's it's a war it's 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 a psychological war on our minds you know designed to corrupt our our our, our morals designed to corrupt our traditional family structures and our relationships with the opposite sex i mean that's a absolutely what it is 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he, he has quotes from, from Jews, again, bragging about this and bragging about their role and their motivations as trying to, you know, destroy upright and wholesome Christian white society. Um, so I think it, it uh, uh, Kevin McDonald, I think, also notes that in the foreword, and he um, quotes Freud saying, you know, we are bringing them the plague. And that basically really summarizes the history of the Jewish relationship and the impacts that they've had on American culture and on Western culture generally, and pretty much on every culture <laughs> where they where they yeah. get to. They they always do these these same kinds of things. Yeah, they absolutely do. And And again, it's worth underscoring and emphasizing that these sorts of perspectives, this sort of recognition of, of who the Jews are, of how they operate, of what sort of agenda you know that they promote wherever they go, this was fully recognized by organized Christianity historically. I mean, it's only within the past hundred years or so, as I've been emphasizing, that there's been this fundamental, this fundamental change, this fundamental corruption and subversion of Christianity. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny. He actually has a good quote, uh, the, the author, um, Corey has a good quote right at the very beginning in the, in the mission, my mission chapter, where he talks about, um, for, for, you know, for 2000 years, organized Christianity, um, basically recognize, as I said, recognize who the Jews were, um, and, and only really began the, this, this betrayal of our race and of our civilization in the 20th century after this Jewish coup was basically accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. That and uh, that is an important thing to note. He kind of uh, says at one point that, um, you know, as bad as we see the church now in many ways, it was ultimately the last institution to fall. And uh, um, white societies that survived the longest, like South Africa, for example, were very Christian societies. So again, you know, even into the modern day, um, there was very obviously no conflict between these things, between being Christian and at the same time being a, a self-confident and a healthy white civilization or a white nation that, um, you know, had concern and, and care for its people. Yeah, yeah, well said. Well, the book is absolutely fascinating. And as we noted at the beginning, something that should be read certainly by any Christian, but also by any white advocate, whether you're Christian or not, whether you view Christianity as, you know, some sort of like Jewish psyop or something like that. You know, I hear people make this argument that Christianity is like this totally invented, totally made up fable, some Jewish psyop basically, which I think ignores all sorts of history and is just a very, very fundamentally, um, like almost anti-intellectual way of looking at the role of Christianity historically. Um, but it's very clear, and, and again, this is like a major theme of the book, that absolutely within the past hundred years, organized Christianity has fundamentally been transformed and corrupted into an anti-white, um, you know, anti-nationalist force that is actively promoting white genocide, and that's what needs to be understood by your average Christian out there. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, another way in which that um, manifests, and he also, again, he talks about this a little bit when going through some of the history of Christian Zionism and how it came about and how um, this 
change into uh, premillennialism, you know, the idea that we're living through before like this big apocalypse and then Christ will return, it coincided with a Christian disengagement from public life. And that is something that I have seen all of my life um, and that I have encountered and that really manifests in just often kind of ridiculous and, and contradictory ways where you'll have Christians like insisting that you have to vote Republican or you have to like vote pro-life or something like that, which, you know, I, I agree with that, obviously, in terms of the, the principle there of being pro-life. But on the other hand, when it comes to um, saying, well, you know, in, interrogating the actual results of our government system or the politicians that we vote for, then they'll suddenly switch entirely and say, well, you know, well, we shouldn't expect like anything. We shouldn't expect to get anything here on earth. Like, you know, we're just living for um, the kingdom of heaven. Um, and uh, it that is really um, the way that a lot of Christians today engage with the world around them, which is to say that they don't basically. They have they just leave it to run and spin its gears because they're convinced that it's going to end any day. Um, and when you step back and look at it, it's a um, really, uh, not just unhealthy, but it, it's like a, it's a civilizationally suicidal, it's a, um, really awful, uh, you know, way to interpret your faith. And, and, uh, it kind of, that is one of the ways in which Christianity, uh, as a phenomenon then becomes almost like this virus or, or this, uh, thing that's, dis that's, participating in the assault on and destruction of our civilization because you know the people who um claim to hold it they'll they just use it to justify basically their inaction um at best if not their contribution to uh the assault on our race yeah well and again i think that's a fundamentally totally distorted and weaponized interpretation of christianity certainly from a historical perspective that's not how the great Christian leaders throughout history viewed their role in this world, certainly. Um, and, and that's a very, very modern phenomenon, basically straight from the mind of a Jew to corrupt Christianity and to turn it into this, this active, um, you know, sort of proponent of this Jewish white genocide agenda, very, very evil agenda. And, um, you know, this book absolutely lays this all out very, very well, very, very scholarly, um, very impressive book, honestly. Like I was really, really impressed reading through this. Um, I don't know if you have any concluding remarks about the book. I will encourage people to pick up a copy directly from Antelope Hill. I'll of course have a link over to the book. I think you can get a hard copy for about twenty bucks. Um, so it's you know really not you know super expensive or anything. The ebook I think is going for what like I, I'm actually on the website right now six forty five. For the ebook, if you if you you know you choose yeah. that option, I prefer a physical copy of the book in in anything I'm reading anymore. I'm, you know, it's it's becoming more and more difficult with each day of like staring at the computer all day. I much prefer to to actually sit down and read a book. And this is one that I think definitely, if you're a Christian, you want to have. If you're a pro-white advocate, and I'm sure most people listening are both of those things. So definitely, this is a book that you want to pick up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thank you very much for the recommendation. I also encourage everyone to pick it up. Um, I guess just my last thoughts on the book were going back to what you were saying a few minutes ago about how, you know, this, this anti-white form of Christianity obviously isn't Christian. Um, and, you know, it, it is important for us to distinguish that. And that's another thing that the book does. And uh, it's, he kind of goes into some of the, the, 
from a theological perspective, um, what is wrong with Christian Zionism and how it basically takes um, God's promises that were about the coming of Christ for the salvation of the human race, and it twists them into uh, being about the modern-day Jewish state and the Jewish people. So it, it's like you said before, it's, it literally just becomes a worship of Jews, um, and really not just a worship of Jews, but in place of our Savior. So it's it's really insidious and uh, and really an evil thing. Um, but yeah, it is a really good book. It's it's really well researched. It's really persuasively written. It covers a lot of ground, um, and uh, deals with a lot of relevant issues. So again, I would also absolutely encourage everyone to go pick up a copy. Yes, sir. Um, now, just to kind of wrap up, I want to talk about some of the future projects and upcoming books that you guys are planning on publishing in 2024. You actually have a section on your website, upcoming titles, that I'll have a link to um, that people can check out um, and, and you know just sort of see some of the titles. The Generation 68, The Elite Revolution and Its Legacy by Kerry Bolton sounds absolutely fascinating. That's a topic that um, I've, I've talked pretty extensively with. Uh, a guy named John Massaro, who's from that generation, and he has a lot of very interesting thoughts about that whole era. Um, so that book immediately struck me. That's actually the first book listed when you go to that page on your website. Uh, but are there any other books you want to mention? I know it's a, a lot of the same sort of themes that you guys have, have, have published, you know, previously. Um, a lot of you know, sort of revisionist type material. A lot of original speeches, and you, for example, a collection of poetry by Leon de Grell. Um, some Russian translations. You guys are really getting a lot of uh, foreign, foreign publications into you know an English version for for an English audience, which I think is very important as well. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the goals. Um, so Generation 68 is going to be the first book that's going to come out next year. Um, so absolutely get excited for that one. Um, and, you know, that that is about the kind of elite top down revolution of the 1960s and its impact on America. It's written by Kerry Bolton, who previously published a book with us called The Tyranny of Human Rights from Jacobinism to the United Nations. Um, so that, that one should be um, very good. Um, we're going to have our next writing competition as well. We do one of those every year. Um, like you noted, we're going to have a lot of, uh, collections, historical works. We're going to have a collection of Nuremberg rally speeches, um, the poetry by DeGrell. Um, we're going to have another book about Jose Antonio, um, a book about the Russian volunteers in Spain. So the Russian volunteers that fought on the side of Franco in the Spanish Civil War, uh, which I think is something that uh, really I didn't even know how much history that there would be to that un until like I learned that that we're, we're putting this book out because I think you know a lot of people will hear Russians in the Spanish Civil War and they'll understandably think of the Soviets, but uh, you had Russians on the other side as well. Um, we're going to have another book by Dr. Joseph Goebbels, The Battle for Berlin. Uh, the Collective Speeches of Gregor Strasser, Confessions of a Traitor by Ernest Rome. Um, Boy, I, 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 I got to mention yeah. really quick, The Collected Speeches of Gregor Strasser and The Confessions of a Traitor by Ernest Rome. both of those sound absolutely fascinating because those are two guys that you don't really hear their side of the story too much when it comes to you know the history of, of the NSDAP and Hitler, and I'm sure that they had some very interesting things to say. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's part of history, and that's what we want to preserve, and that's what we want to make available. So um, besides that, we're going to have another book by uh, Richard uh, Daray, um, which uh, we'd published uh, one of his books before, New Nobility of Blood and Soil. Um, and we're going to have another kid's book as well. It's called The, the Great Napoleon for Little Children, which is actually uh, translated from French uh, with some very nice pictures in it as well. So there'll be that and more uh, all to look forward to next year. Very cool. Well, you guys are doing great work, and we certainly salute you here at the Barnes Review. I will have links over to the website. I also follow you guys on Twitter and your Telegram page. Um, and again, I'll have links over to the Twitter and Telegram page for Antelope Hill. And I also um, subscribe to your newsletter via email, which you can do right through your website. So I'll have links over to all of that. And Taylor, thanks a lot, man. Thank you very much for taking the time. And please do keep up the good work in the new year. And very Merry Christmas to you guys and everybody else at Antelope Hill. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on again. Merry Christmas to you and all the listeners as well. Okay. Thanks, man. You take care. I will be in touch, and we'll do this again in the near future. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Okay. Thanks, man.